This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we are in a study of uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. We've had a few weeks interruptions, and uh, we had Father's Day, and we had our Celebrate Recovery Day, and so now we're kind of getting back to our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. For those that haven't been here for that, the book of 1 Corinthians is really a letter written from the Apostle Paul to a church in the town called Corinth, and this church was a beautiful mess. Uh, and we've talked more, we can't review all of that, but uh, they had their, these great strengths and these tremendous weaknesses. They, they tended to be polarized on almost every issue. And he's writing them as a growing, vibrant church, coaching them about things that need to be corrected, things that, and today he's going to do something rare. He's actually going to tell them they did well and commend them. And uh, so this is his instruction to them. But what we've already noticed is that there's, there are so many parallels between the culture of Corinth and the culture that we live in today here in the United States. So many parallels that it, it's, it really is as though he were writing to us. And so he stepped on our toes and he challenges us. In fact, last week, or last time we were in 1 Corinthians, this is the verse that we ended with. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's a nice verse. That's a great verse. That's worth memorizing. In fact, I wish we were still preaching on that verse instead of what we're preaching on today. Because the passage that we're in today is probably the most difficult to interpret and obtuse passage in the entire New Testament. Whee! Yeah. This, this, there's only one reason why anybody preaches on this, and it's when, you, when you're going through the book of, an entire book of the Bible. Otherwise, you skip this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. I can guarantee that 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 16, none of those verses will ever pop up in your version app as the verse of the day, okay? They'll just never pop up. And uh, as we read it and as we study it, we are going to be stretched on many levels. In fact, why don't we go ahead and just read the passage? Uh, I'm going to read it, you follow along, and then we'll have a little conversation about it. Verse 2. He says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions that as I, even as I have deli- delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. (laughs) Don't even get me started. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should have her hair cut short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, those of you with short cuts are thinking, oh, well, let let her cover her head. And we have pillowcases in the back if you... (laughs) For a man ought to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man in case any of you women didn't understand that. For a man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. 
That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Well, of course, the angels. Okay, <laughs> nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head covered? Don't answer that yet. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, <laughs> we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. <laughs> this just isn't fair. And so before we dive in, and let me, let me tell you right up front that we are not going verse by verse, word through word, word by word. Because even in our conversation, I think some of the, the conversation we'd have to have would be so much background and so much culture that, I mean, we would be here for hours trying to unpack all of that. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure, having, after having done that all week, that that's where the greatest value is in this passage. So instead, we're going to look at some overarching things in this passage that I believe are true. But you read this, and, and I kind of think Peter in 2 Peter, he wrote something, and I think maybe Peter had this passage in mind when he wrote this. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, Peter says this, Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with you with wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. <laughs> no kidding, Peter. I think he has that in mind. Um, so as we jump into this, I guess the first thing we have to say, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, we are really glad you're here. And this is going to be even more bizarre than you thought it was going to be, okay? <laughs> okay? I think probably a guest's worst fear is they're going to show up at a church and they're going to talk about godly hairstyles. <laughs> okay? So you are going to have a hoot. In fact, you, when we're done, you're going to be able to take some, take some friends out to lunch. You're going to have so many stories to tell. Uh, but... So I'm just going to say, I, I totally understand if, if this sounds loony. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, those of us who accept the word of God as being something God's communicating to us, we're still going to scratch our heads. And so I want to suggest that we, we begin to open our hand as we talk about these things. First of all, I guess it's no big surprise that if God communicates with us, being as smart as God is, that even when he dumbs it down, there are going to be some things that we just can't understand. And then there are things that we didn't understand the first or second or third time we read it, but later we came to understand it. I'm going to suggest that for most of you, this is the first time you've actually read this passage. And then I'm going to suggest that there are things that were probably very clear to the people in Corinth when Paul wrote this that we miss because we're not living in their culture in their time. Often, we can kind of look back in culture and, and, and explain the connections and we are going to try to explain a little bit of that today. But there are times when, because we're not Corinthians, we, we're not sure that we even know what in the world Paul is talking about. And so we have to just 
trust God with that. The big question is, is there something in here that is clear? And that's the tough part for us. See, nobody comes to this process with total neutrality. Every one of us is biased. Some of you are cheering for Paul as we read this. Some of you are fuming already. We, we all have our biases. Me too. There are things that I wish this said. And so I think before we dive into this passage, we need to agree, if you're a believer, we need to believe, agree together that when we find a few things here that are very clearly applicable to us, we're going we're gonna to agree in advance that we will obey it. But only you and the Spirit of God know if that's true. 2 Timothy 3 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is some value here. In fact, I think it's profound value. In fact, it's more, um, it's more uh, poignant for us in our day today, even June 2016. It's, it's so appropriate for us that I'm actually excited in a sick sort of way to be preaching this today. So in verse 2, Paul starts out by praising them. He says, I commend you guys. I want to praise you because the things that I taught you and the traditions that I taught you, you're still practicing. Yay! They, they were doing something right. So he says, good for you. Remember what he's been teaching them? If you were here with us a few weeks ago, he recently has been talking to them about Christian liberty and freedom. This idea that because Christ has died in our place and made the payment for our sins, and that we receive him as our savior through faith. We receive eternal life as a gift. It's grace-based, not our works or, or behavior-based, our actions. Because of that, we have freedom to participate in things. Uh, meat that was offered to idols, and people are saying, oh, should I eat it or not? And he says, we all know an idol is nothing. If the meat is good and it's cheap, go for it. But, and then he lays down these balancing principles. If it's going to offend another brother or cause them struggle, then you may want to even set aside your freedoms. But he has emphasized our freedom. I'm going to suggest that at Crossroads, it's one of the things we really love to emphasize is our freedom. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to cut your hair a certain way. You don't have to, to, to be a, considered a good Christian. We know that we've got freedom in a lot of areas. And we celebrate that too. They were. In fact, considering how he talks a little bit about how wives and husbands are interacting in public worship, it does kind of make me wonder if maybe some of what was going on, considering Corinth's habit of polarizing, going too far one way or another, it does make me wonder if maybe they were taking their freedom and liberty just a little too far in public worship. Now let's... In just a minute, he's going to talk about hats and heads and hairstyles. And you're going to think that you're just in a little twilight zone. So let's think for just a second about what it was like to live in Corinth. First of all, how did they dress? Um, I mean, we could all have a stereotypical picture, but Greco-Roman 
Middle Eastern, Asia, Greece, Mediterranean, like, uh, I think, you know, kind of flowing robes and sash maybe. Uh, they didn't dress up for church because there weren't dress-up sashes so much. And so in, in many ways, I think maybe men and women could easily look the same. So there were a few things in, 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 a, in a culture where a lot of people were basically wearing robes and togas all the time. How do you discern between which ones are men and women? You ever made that mistake? You know, when you think you're standing behind a woman in a store? <laughs> Beautiful hair. Oh, gosh. Hi, George. Yeah, you know, it's like, right? I mean, so how do you distinguish? And, and so at least to be fair to them, we have no problem saying, okay, so hairstyles, long hair versus short hair, up versus down, that was important to them. Let's just say right up front, it's not to us. Okay? We don't think women with a short haircut are evil, you know, proto-prostitutes or whatever. We don't, I mean, it's not, it just doesn't, th these things have no meaning to us. But they did to the Corinthians. The Corinthians. So, you see, what you wear is appropriate to the day and age and culture where you live, right? I, I still have my polyester leisure suit. Now, I don't have the shoes. They were like, like eight inches high. But the collar on that thing comes out to here, okay? It's like, man, flare at the... I mean, yeah. Wear that now, <laughs> okay? I mean, you know, Braveheart got away with wearing a skirt. But I, I'm thinking if I walk around in a skirt, it's going to cause a problem. Um, even at the beginning of our country, the, the, the most popular, successful guys wore tights and wigs. Okay? Wear tights and a wig now. Okay? You'll be on the evening news. Okay? You'd be like some kind of a weirdo. The truth is, if you, if you hop around enough, you realize that a lot of cultures, when you're outside of it, their clothing issues really seem bizarre. So we're given some grace here. The thing that does stand out as important in what we're going to study today is that in this conversation, the clothing and hairstyles that Paul talk, is going to talk to them about have a direct correlation to their understanding of gender identity. Now do you understand why it's so poignant? <laughs> the only reason this is important isn't because he likes certain hairstyles and doesn't like. In their culture, the way you wore your hair and the way the, whether you covered or didn't cover your head in prayer, and by the way, when you see Jews praying at the wailing wall, the guy's heads are... Covered. By the way, did you know that that didn't start till the fourth century? Before that, Jewish men would never pray with their head covered. And then it all switched, and that story is very interesting. Actually, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> think about other places in our world today, modern Saudi Arabia, right? And yet women, they ought to cover their head. Why? It's not a fashion statement. And just like them in Corinth, this was directly connected to their gender identity and the roles that they were supposed to be playing. One other observation. He's going to talk especially to women and what is appropriate for women in worship. 
And many of you are going to just, your hackles are going to be like, okay, I totally get it. I, I'm not lying. I feel that way myself. So it would be easy to miss the most important point or one of the most important points about that discussion. And that is, there were women in worship. Do you realize that in this day and age, women were banned from almost every important meeting? They would have to sit outside below a window, listen in if they wanted to hear what's going on, or wait for their husband to come home or their dad to come home and tell them what went on. In Judaism, women were allowed to go toward worship, but boy, the men were worshiping, and then there's this curtain, and then the, then the women are over there, and they better not make a peep. I, just make sure, I want to make sure that we understand that not only did women follow Jesus, we've talked about that before, not only were women an integral part of the church from the very founding of the church. But here we are in Corinth, and the women, they're not just showing up. They're participating. In fact, they're praying and prophesying. You realize that Christianity has always been, and I know this is not the impression we get, but biblical Christianity has always been at the forefront of protecting and promoting women's rights. The early church broke the glass ceiling before they invented glass. They were there and they were participating. And in fact, I think, too, that's part of why this is so important to Paul. is because the women there and they're participating, but it was important that they understand that they don't have complete freedom. That there are some cultural norms that they need to pay attention to. And you need to pay attention to them, not just because all oh, people will get upset. They need to be paid attention to because it communicates something about what you believe about God. And that's what we're going to be looking for today. They didn't want to send the wrong message about God to their culture. So we've got five points today, five general observations that I think are found in this passage. The first one is this. God has established an order in his creation. Now that shows up starting in verse 3. It says... Uh, Paul writes, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, the head of every man is Christ. We could do a great study, and I think it would be helpful for us today, but we don't have time. Ephesians 1 says that God's placed all things under his feet, appointed him head over everything. Ephesians 4, everything, will, everything matures under the head who is Christ. Matthew 28, all authority is given to me, Jesus says. And we can go on and on and on. The idea is pretty clear, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you accept it. Jesus is the head of every man. Uh, mankind. But he's the head. He, it all falls under his jurisdiction. But then when he says, and the head of a wife is her husband, and, and I want to point out that I think the NIV that many of you are carrying says man and woman and the words are the same whether you say man or woman or husband or wife, and it changes by the context. And, and obviously, since I'm going to, in fact, we even read from the ESV this morning instead of the NIV, because I do believe that the best interpretation is actually husband and wife. It fits most directly. I don't think every woman is subject to every man or something like that. So that helps us a little bit. But still, the, the head of a wife is her husband. And there's so much to be talked about. In Ephesians 5, 
Paul wrote that wives should submit yourselves to your husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which is, of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so wives ought to submit to their husbands in everything. Boy, when you pull that out of context, and when you skip the other things about the mutuality of a marriage relationship, it sounds really off. I'm going to suggest that Paul is not at all interested in subjugating women here. He's building a logic. So if we, if we remember that he's already said that Christ is the head of every man, and then on the other end of this discussion, he says that the head of Christ is God. Wait a minute. I thought Christ was God. Oh, he is. And so something, that's not what we expect. Do you think of Jesus, our Savior, the second person of the Godhead, as still being subject to God? And yet when he was here on earth, he prayed to his Father. He submitted to his Father. In fact, when he taught, he said, I'm only telling you what I hear from the Father. Isn't Jesus and God the Father equal? They are. Aren't they both God? They are. Well, then how do you explain that? And here's the, here's the thing that we've got to get through our head. That a difference in rank or purpose is not the same as inferiority. Most of you work for a boss. And you would probably be happy to tell us that your boss is not superior to you. <laughs> in fact, you can think of many people that are superior to your boss, including yourself. And, and yet, from a practical standpoint, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, because of their rank, not because of any value. They're not the boss because they're a better person. So what Paul is getting at here is that there's something about the way God made this relationship between himself and men and women, specifically husbands and wives. There's something about that interaction, not that one is more valuable than another, but they do fill different roles. And that when they're working together, it reflects a message about God. By the way... Uh, in verses 4 to 6, when he, he's, Paul makes this kind of a play on words. Uh, he says, if a man prays with his head covered, he dishonors his head. What you don't catch is that there's a play on words. Remember just before he said, the head of every man is Christ. So he's talking about a physical head and then a spiritual head. Physical head and spiritual head. And in a sense, what he's saying is, what a person does with their physical head can dishonor their spiritual head. All he's saying is, actually our actions have consequences. And the way we live our lives preaches to those around us. By the way, um, I don't know if, if many of you have seen Band of Brothers, the movie. There's a scene that's kind of disturbing when, when one of the camps is liberated by the Allied forces. And uh, as they're kind of freeing everybody or whatever, and, and some, some guys drag some woman into the middle of this this area and they shave her head bald and it's just so shocking it's like <gasps> and and the the allied soldiers are like hey 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 like they're supposed to stop atrocities stop what's going on and the people doing this explain no you don't understand she was a collaborator and so to mark her they shaved her head so she could not kind of slip into into the shadows this idea he mentions you might as well have her head shaved I think most of you, if you have any Bible background at all, understand that at least in that culture, there was a great deal of shame or marking connected to that. We won't get into what it could have been. I guess 
when we talk about how you wear your hair and everything and what it sends a message, it, it, we, first of all, hairstyles and other things don't send those messages today. However, I want to, here's an illustration. A, 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 a young believer comes to you, young guy, young gal, growing in the Lord, and they say, hey, guess what? I'm thinking about getting a tattoo. And depending on what generation you're in, <laughs> some of you say, uh, moms, okay? <laughs> no, not all of you. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Because, because others would be, others of them would be like, cool. And you show yours. I, I, always, I always want sleeves. I just wish I want them to wash off once in a while. But I always thought that would be kind of cool, you know? He says, I'm getting, thinking about getting a tattoo. Oh, neat. And you don't give it another thought until he shows you the tattoo that he's thinking about getting. Isn't that a cool star, he says? <coughs> and now, even if you were pro-tattoo, now you have a problem with the tattoo. Why? You see, because this expression of a tattoo is going to send a message. Now, that's not what it means to me. I just like the star. I think it's kind of neat. And you would say, but that's not what other folks are going to think. They're going to see this tattoo, and they're going to assume something about you that isn't true. Now, we can argue all we want. Well, that's just not right. Got to agree with you. I think, I'm, yeah, that's not right. And who cares what they think? Stop. See, that's what Americans say. Who cares what they think? What do Christians say? The people who will... Skip meat altogether if it means somebody might hear the gospel. You see, for us, if something like this would send a message that would confuse and make it difficult to share the gospel, I'd have it surgically removed. Because that's the value system when it, means, when it comes to following Christ. So the first question is simply this. Can people tell by your actions that you submit to God's design of authority? Now, I have not tried to talk about how that works in the home. We've talked about home and family before, and now I can have to again. But here's the thought, that God actually designed a flow of responsibility. I actually believe that when I stand before God someday, I will be responsible to him for my family in some ways that my wife is not. Now, we're both going to be standing there, and we're both going to have to explain a lot together. And we did it together. In fact, as different as we are night and day, I, I think it's hard to imagine more partnership. We, we, we felt like a great partnership. Till, but now we look back, and of course, you know, you know how your kids, you grow up, and they're like, oh, yeah, you didn't do any of it right. <laughs> OK, go figure, yeah. So go get therapy, you know, right? <laughs> and yet, she's going to be she was responsible for things in our home that I was not. I was responsible for things that she was not. Is that wrong? No. Do you have to do it the exact same way? No. But let's not get mixed up. There were differences in what was expected. So the idea is simply this. Is there something about the way we live that says, I'm okay 
with being under authority as well as over and having authority. So next, and these will all build on each other. The second point that this passage says is that men and women are created distinct. Newsflash, girls are different from boys. And it's not just biological. It's not just a plumbing issue. But we've got to be so careful here because in the Christian community, we can just kind of jump the track and start using language that is other believers kind of expect. And, and it, like, it harkens back to this simple, it was, it was just clear. It was just clearer. Well, first of all, I'm not sure that it was. You just weren't aware of what's going on. But even if it was, what are you going to do? It's, it's so frustrating. Have you been frustrated lately? Have you been frustrated by the conversations that go on about LGBTQ equality? Have, have, you ever, have you been in a bathroom and then had to check twice about where you're supposed to be? It's a frustrating, difficult conversation that our entire culture is struggling with. What Paul's essentially saying is that as a follower of Christ, we accept the Bible's record that when God created mankind, he made two genders. Two. That's it. Two. But let's us not forget something. There are a million, billion, trillion expressions of either one of those genders, and that's just fine. I told you my dad never lost his temper. That was true. But I didn't grow up in a macho home. You know, some of you were playing all the sports, all this stuff. My dad was like 55 when I made it to high school. We didn't go out and throw a football. A lot of those macho things we didn't do. And, and I liked art, and I liked music, and I liked, like, like oh, so you're one of those sensitive guys. No, I really wasn't sensitive. <laughs> no, they can't tell that. I mean, I'm jumping off roofs, okay? And yet I was in a mime troupe. Okay, that's just weird. Yeah, okay, Ben. Somehow that does not comfort me at all. Anyway. <laughs> Great, now Dave Armstrong's back there being a mime. Okay. Uh, man, I have got to be careful about the things I say off the top of my head. Anyway, they're always the ones that get you in trouble, by the way. <laughs> Cindy's gone. Yeah. Um, I've done this in classes many, many times with college students. We'll be talking about biblical masculinity and biblical femininity. And so everybody comes in, sits down, and I simply ask a class of college students, please describe for me biblical masculinity. And they start uh, uh, strong, protective, uh, gracious, uh, free, whatever. They start like, and I, and I write all these down, really good, thoughtful things. And then I put a big line. I go over here. Okay, so now let's describe biblical femininity. Grace, forgiving, strong. Wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. We have that over there. So, I mean, I thought, I thought the men had to be strong, so women shouldn't be. Well, I mean, a woman can be strong, should be And what we started finding out is what we were listing were Christian character traits. And the truth is that virtually everything we put on the board should be true of both men and women. So then I erased it all, and I said, so let me just ask you again. What is biblical masculinity? And nobody's saying a word. The point for this morning is simply this. God made man, male, man, masculinity, 
And when he did, there were certain aspects of God's character that he intended to come out through man. He made woman, to, to, in a sense, to fill in all the blanks. Because yes, men have blanks. <laughs> Not just social blanks. Remember, God was showing himself. It took two types of people to reflect one holy God. You can be a tall man or a short man. You're still a man. You can be an outgoing man or an introvert. You're still a man. You can be a driven, successful, goal-setting woman, and you're still a woman. Do not buy into those stereotypes. Because God has wired you the way you are. But if you are a man, when you have a unique relationship to a woman, maybe your mother, maybe your wife, maybe your daughter, you play a specific role in their lives. Didn't we just say that last week at Father's Day? Sons are asking, do I have what it takes? Daughters are asking their fathers, am Am I beautiful? Am I lovely? Am I worth pursuing? Is one of those less profound than another? No. They are two different questions. But when they come together, something about God is seen. Can people tell by your actions that you support God's design of two genders? This is hard today. Because to be honest, I have no interest in violating or treating anyone, no matter how many feather boas they're wearing, treating them poorly. We should, just a couple of words here, and, and I'm not an expert. One in every 1,500 babies born are born with genitalia or, or gender that is ambiguous. It happens. It happens all the time. Well, one in every 1,500. Like any other deformity, anyone born with a deformity or a dysfunction or whatever, like they, all we want to show them is love and grace and mercy, right? Some child's born with a shorter, one short leg shorter than another. You're not going to make fun of them. And the same is true whether, even if it's a sexual dysfunction. We want to be gracious. However, there are many other people who, and you've heard about it, right? They feel torn inside. I feel like I'm a, I'm a woman living in a man's body. Okay, If you're tempted, when no one's looking, if you're tempted to laugh and mock, okay, sometimes me too. And we're wrong. We're wrong because the struggle they're describing, that must be profound. Oh, don't get me wrong. There's a few who are just pushing an agenda. Got it. Probably, I'm, I'm never even quite sure who those people are. And Jesus has taught me to respond in free, forgiveness and mercy and love. And Can you imagine growing up and feeling like you're not who everybody thinks you are? It's got to be so profoundly painful. And those people deserve love, mercy, understanding, and therapy. Many people live kind of in flux, feeling like, I, I feel like I'm a mess. Well, we all are a mess. 
No, my kind of mess is a unique one. Yep, actually, that is unique. But it's still a mess. Now, what's the answer? You know, I've been doing a lot of reading lately. And, and forgive me, because by the time this gets posted to the Internet, uh, the facts could even change. Science is racing ahead. But from what I can tell, people who have gone the full gamut and had complete sex reassignment surgery, the man who's had everything removed, everything augmented, on hormones, everything is like, like if, if you were doing the check, you and I would have trouble, which is, I just can't even imagine. I, I don't know how that works. But, and yet, from what I understand, if a, a simple chromosome test, they're going to still come back male. In fact, women walk a certain way because their hips are in a certain position. You realize that no matter how much surgery you have, they don't change your hips. You still walk like a man. So what we have are people who have got this deep, deep, profound schism in who they think they are, their self-image, connected to their gender, this gender dysphoria. And that's profound. They think by fixing the outward stuff, it's going to make it better. Now, I, you know what? If it did make it better, even though it's not what I would recommend, I'd still say, I'm, but you're better? I'm really glad for you. I wouldn't do that because I think God made two genders on purpose. And I think, I think you're one or the other. And I think if you're struggling, then you ought to figure out why you're struggling. And, and the first message that we as the church send is, you do realize, right, that you can be any kind of a woman you want to be. You can be business. My, my sister's a, a partner, a full partner in, in the second largest law firm in the world. Okay? She's sort of aggressive. but I wouldn't argue with her because I would lose. <laughs> She's profoundly successful and profoundly intimidating. And, 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 but she's a woman, raised her kids, loved on them, just did it different from you and you and you. And so I think the discussion is going on, is, and, and this is what we react to. I think our culture is saying, basically saying exactly what, what Paul's warning. They're rejecting God's design of two genders. And what they're saying is it ought to be the whole gamut. What I'm going to say is there are only two genders, but those genders run the whole gamut. You can be a powerlifting woman. Ugh, go for it. It doesn't mean that you're not a woman. You see, this is defined not just by plumbing, but also how you respond to a husband or your father or your sons and daughters. Okay, we've already gone way over, and yet we can't rush this. What you struggle with, what I struggle with when I'm listening to all this about the LGBTQ community, right? They're the shooting in Orlando. It's a heartbreak. It's a heartbreak. And yet, why do I churn? Because I, I know I don't want to, I would hate to send the message that I'm with you guys. Wait, I am with you guys. I reject this idea that Somehow, two genders isn't enough. And I think whatever you've been changing, oh, how my heart breaks. And I think you're looking in the wrong place. Actually, that's the same thing I tell alcohol alcoholics. Same thing I tell drug addicts. Right? Same thing we, we tell porn addicts or, or adulterers. I, say, I, 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 I think you're in pain, and I think you're looking in the wrong place. But we love you. 
You do know, right, that we've had practicing lesbians, homosexuals attend Crossroads? Part of small groups? And they were loved. And sometimes it makes us churn inside. We'll deal with that later. We love them. And it doesn't mean we approve of this agenda. You see, I think, I think it is possible for anybody, regardless of what they're struggling with, to figure out how to be okay with the gender they were born with. I really do. Uh, but some of you have something that you were born with that you're still not okay with. My nose is too wide. Is it wrong to have it fixed? But there's nothing wrong with your nose. Well, actually, my, my one ear is lower than the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes we live with those things, and that's okay. You can have a lot of questions. Email me. I'll get back to you in a month. <laughs> the third thing that he talks about here, and that is this, that men and women are created equal. Verse 11, he says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as the woman is made from man, so man now is born from woman, and all of it is from God. This is the counter. Here we thought we were hearing some hierarchy kind of stuff. But here comes this balance. Have we seen that before in Corinth? <laughs> Almost every single message. Yes, there is a structure. Yes, there is kind of an order. But it's not the kind of order that you think. It's not highest value, less, less, less. No, it's job, job, job. All on the same team. And at the same time, they are all created equal. Absolutely equal in value. And that was God's design. Galatians 3.28 says, says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave, free, male, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This does not say that we don't need male and female anymore. Any more than people are going to go get, have surgery and become Gentile if they're Jew or Jew of Gentile. I don't know how you remove slave. I don't know how that happens. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is we are all equal when it comes to being saved. We all have equal value. So the simple question is this. Can people tell by your actions that you believe men and women are equal? We need women to preach. We need women to teach. We need women to lead alongside men. We're supposed to be a team. We may function in in a unique way. But we're all equal. Fourth, men and women are dependent, not independent. And that's also what he's saying in verse 11. In America, we are just into being independent. Don't need anybody, don't need anything. Even in marriages, right? Just two separate ships going, passing in the night. And and every marriage has its issues. but, But Paul's saying is, ideally, ideally, there's an interdependence. There's a connection, not an independence. So can people tell that you're not independent? I, I, I'm just going to tell you right up front. I need people. I depend on my wife. And it doesn't mean that I'm an idiot guy. I mean, well, I'm an idiot guy, but I still depend on my wife. I'm not whole. Have you ever met somebody? And you really don't feel like you've met them until you've met their spouse. Because to know them completely. <laughs> some, some of you, you yeah. You, you meet me and you think, how does this happen? And then you meet Cindy and you go, oh, okay. 
Ah, thank goodness. Finally, men and women are both worshipers. You see, we're tempted when we're independent. Like, if you're a woman who has been hurt by men, or you've been looking for a guy and you just can't find one no matter what, you're tempted at some point to say, all men are pigs. It may be somewhat true, but careful, sister. I understand your pain of not having the relationship you want, but please, please still accept the fact that in God's ideal design, what you're after is a good thing, which is a matched pair. Or guys who've been shopping around, you've been on Christian Mingle now for eight years, and you, got, you, you find in nothing but losers. I, I had one single friend talk to me about that. It was kind of funny, great guy. And he said, there, there, are, there are Christian women my age out there that are single. There's a reason they're single, Mike. <laughs> but you see, that guy can't say, you know, women, ah, who needs them? Whoa, whoa, hang on, bud. I understand you're not happy with the luck you're having, but don't be defaming that. And in that context, that they're worshipers. You realize that the whole context of this conversation is worship how it shows to the public when we gather together, how we interact matters. He says, even the angels are watching. We will not go there. We're already over time. Like, angels are watching? What? And so I, we don't have time. I'm simply going to say this. Yes, apparently they are. Why would angels be interested in how we conduct ourselves in our roles with each other at church? I don't know. But if they are interested, I want to pay more attention to how we interact together when we're together at church. Because there's something cosmic that happens. By the way, when this discussion in our culture, LGBTQ, you see this tsunami, does that feel kind of cosmic to you? Sure. We have the same effect going the other direction. We're both worshipers. Philippians 2, 6 and 7, passage that's uh, uh, 6 and 8, it's a passage that's familiar to many of you. The whole point is, as we do all this, as we interact with husbands and wives, men and women, all these different things, like what's God, what, where does he get off telling us what hairstyles are okay and what behavior is okay and I'll just do as I please. I think Paul's message is this, there's something bigger at stake. Something bigger than your freedom, your rights, something bigger than your preferences. There's something bigger, and it's Jesus. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wives, may I suggest this? With whatever your struggles are with submission, may I suggest that there is no submission greater than the submission that Jesus showed for you when he gave himself, left heaven, took on a body, lived among men, and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross to redeem you. You try to beat that submission. There's no greater. Guys, I'm going to suggest that there is no greater provision or protection than that which Jesus 
provided for His bride through His death and resurrection. I think the way we do this preaches to the world around us. And I think that's the message that Paul's saying. So I hope this week, as you interact, that you would begin to ask yourself, I wonder what my life preaches. Not my mouth, my life, my actions. Am I demonstrating something that points people toward God? Let's pray. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we really want you to trust Christ because this must have sounded like craziness to you. But we want you to know that Jesus loves you enough that he died for you and he gave himself as an atonement for your sin. And he offers eternal life. You receive it by faith. We don't want you to leave today without knowing that you can put your faith in him as your Savior today. But most of us as followers of Jesus, we are, are impacted by this in ways that we just, we, our heads are spinning. And so, Lord, I would pray that in the midst of all the questions about the things that we don't understand, that we would be determined to apply the things that we do understand. Would you teach us how to live in this culture in such a way that we continue to point people toward your design, but we do so with grace and love? The truth is, people are hurting all around us. And we don't fail you when we show them love. So teach us how to walk that line before the world around us. Help us to shine like lights in a very dark place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.